glad you're here. My name is Tom. You guys look great. I'm so glad you chose to, to come be with us because Jesus is here and, and it's going to be wonderful. Time for Children's Church. You thought I forgot about you. How could I forget about you? Never forget about you. I love you, right? Right, right. So, yeah, exactly. That's how most women are with me. They just they run. Okay, good. We are doing something here. And have been for a while. It's called Meant to Be. And the reason it's called Meant to Be is because you and I get to come here and change. We get to come here and change from the way we walked in to the way we were meant to be. Now, if you want to stay the same, you are so welcome to hang with us. Um, We have a word for that. It's called stuck. Um, And you may want to stay there, but it might make you miserable. And if you're going to be miserable, you might as well join us in changing. So, welcome to Meant to Be. We are in uh, kicking off today uh, a three-week uh, mini-series that I'll be talking about uh, on relationships. Relationships with spouses, relationships with friends, relationships with yourself, relationships with God. This is going to help us do better at relationships and just transform our lives. And um, if we will do what, what Jesus is saying, look, even if you're not a Jesus follower, you can apply most of this. Even if you're not a church person. But if you are, you can go deep, right? And do relationships in a new way. Now, what Jesus is going to, I just want to set the table. Um, what he's going to tell us this morning is both counterintuitive and countercultural, which is a fancy way of saying it's going to sound crazy. But do it because it's true. It's true, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't sell, share that with us if he didn't want to set us more free and bring us into better relationship with him and with others. Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Luke chapter 14. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you don't own a Bible, look under one of the seats in front of you. Uh, there's a brown or burgundy hardback. You want to turn to page 993 in there if you want to make sure I'm not making this up. So... Uh, If you don't own a Bible, guess what? You do now. That's yours to keep. Please read it. We want everybody uh, to be... God's going to speak to you. And and that is better than anything I could ever ever do. So, here we go. Here's a setup for where we're going to enter in. Jesus is at a dinner party hosted by one of the leaders of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees like Jesus about as much... As you like the Patriots, right? Okay, so um, just just saying. He's at this party, and there's a little bit of tension. So let's kick it off. Now he, Jesus, told a parable, a story to teach a lesson to those who were invited to this, this um, Pharisee fest, if you will. When he noticed, Jesus noticed how they were jockeying, they were choosing the places of honor, saying to them, like they're all fighting for the best seats at dinner, right? He said, when you are invited by someone to say a wedding feast, do not sit in the place of honor. Now, um, in that time at a wedding feast, it was shaped in a U. Now the host was the groom, Right at this, at in the, in this now you're saying why can't it be that like the parents of the bride are going why can't that be the case now? <laughs> yeah, well it was then, and 
the seats closest to the bridegroom, the groom, were the most important, like they're the in crowd. So they were kind of trying to get to the seats. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Lest somebody more distinguished or important or cool than you be invited by him. And, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, <coughs> give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Just if you're wondering, this is the original walk of shame. Right? This is what it really is. You take the lowest place. But he tells us how to do it, right? But when you are invited to this wedding feast, go and sit in the lowest place. Go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And this is the punchline. This is the point, right? So so I'm going to ask you to read verse 11 with me out loud, if you would, please. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Ladies, just because we use the, 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 the male thing here, this is all of us. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted exalted. And that is the great good news. Okay. Counterintuitive, countercultural, true. And we need to do it. So this sounds like if we're just listening to us, like it doesn't apply to us, right? Because the culture was so different back then, but it does, right? Look, when you and I are invited to a dinner party, we're just happy we're going out to dinner. Somebody else is cooking and I'm not paying. Right? Am I right? I don't care where I sit. But Jesus is not talking just about dinner parties. And he's not talking about our butts and where we sit down. He's talking about our hearts. Right? And so we do this in different ways, in different ways. So that's part of what we're going to unpack and talk about this morning. We're going to talk about three things. Number one, what is taking the best seat, the highest seat, look like for us today? Number two, what's wrong with taking the best seat, the highest seat? And then then we're going to finish up saying, what are the benefits? What are the blessings of taking the lowest seat? And and then we'll have decisions to make about whether we go out of here the same or whether we change. Let's kick it off. Number one, what does taking the best seat, the highest seat, look like today? Now, this deals with two things. It deals with, number one, how we think of ourselves compared to other people and how we think of them, right? And number two, what we want other people to think of us. Right? Do you see the common denominator there? It's us-centered. Right? How, how we think of ourselves and how we want other people to think of us. This is us wanting to be thought of, to be seen as the cool kids, as the popular people, as the successful ones, as whatever we do. We want to be known. We want people to be impressed with us, how we look, how we cook, what we own, how much we know, who we know. Um, our grades, our stats, our, our talents, where we've traveled, what we've done. In my case, my sick interpretive dance skills, right? I want people, I want to be known. That hurts a little bit. Like, you have never seen me do the theme song to, um, like, SVU. You know, do doom ba 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 
I do it, and I think that's why my wife stays with me. In part. In part. So, that hurt too, Bill. That hurt. Look, um, I want to bring it back to reality and let you know um, that I know a lot about this pride thing. I know more about it than I wish uh, I did. Um, This is the ugliest part of my past, and I want it rooted out completely of my existence. Okay? Uh, I chose to go to a university that has a reputation for having a a great drama program, and I studied to be an actor. Um, Now, if I was that good at it, I'd probably, you know, be doing it, but... um, Look, my dream, this was so enormously important to me. My longing was that when I would come out um, during the curtain call, that, that the applause would not just swell, but, but people would cheer. And more than that, they would stand to their feet. Like that was the driving force in my life. And that is ugly. That is ugly. Okay, we're going to talk about that and why that's ugly. Um, I was so full of pride. I remember I was going for a job interview, and this is in college. And they said, do you like yourself? And my response was, yeah. If I wasn't me, I'd be jealous. Right? And that would be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. Do you, do you realize how dark that is? That is the darkest place um, that a person could be. That is the heart condition that Jesus says repulses him and brings us down, right? So we are, we are all about assigning the, the worst of the worst sins, right? You read about them and, and we gossip about them, unfortunately, and they're in the press and, and they're in the, it's pride. It's pride. And I have more of it, had more of it than any, than any of you. And that is the darkest place. And that's what Jesus wants to do battle with. Look, this is true. If you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right? If you think you're the toughest person, you're in the wrong room. If you think you're the most talented person, the most beautiful person, get out of the room. But more than that, you're in the wrong heart. Right? You're in the wrong mind space. That's not the person that God exalts. That's a person that God brings down. So we're going to talk about that real quick. We want to talk about some ways. What does this look like uh, today, right? Number one, uh, if we are taking the highest seat, we resist being wrong at all costs. Um, I I don't know if this is you, but if you ever get in conflict with another person and you sense that part of you might be wrong in this, you resist apologizing, you resist acknowledging that, and you prefer to self-justify and deny and blame, right? So this person very seldom experiences reconciliation and almost never forgiveness by people or by God because they never think they're wrong. They're always right. If we're always right, we're taking the highest seat, not the lowest seat. We're not saying, I'm the problem, okay? This is the problem with the way unchurched people see church people. We're always right. No, man. As followers of Jesus, we got to go, man, I am the least of the least. Anything you think is jacked up about you, worse about me. Let's go to the Savior. That's it. That's it. 
people wouldn't think we're creepy if that's how we lived, right? Number two, quickly, we develop a critical spirit, a fault finder, okay? In your mind, when you see somebody, if you have this, you associate them with what you think are the worst parts of them, right? You, oh, there's that guy, you know what he does. There's, there's her, you know what she's about, right? In your mind, this is how you attach people. So opposite of the gospel, where God wants to um, remove us from the worst parts of us and give us all of him, right? So, so we've got to watch our thoughts here. Number two, we take the best seat. You can't enjoy someone else's success even when they're on your team. Okay, that, that's, that's twisted, right? This is going to be difficult for a lot of guys, right? In the, in the school space, in the team space, in the workplace, we have trouble enjoying somebody else's success even when it's associated with us. Number four, if you treat underclassmen on your team or new employees, younger people, or those who are not as talented as you are as less than, right? That means you're taking the the higher seat. Whether you're physically doing it or just doing it in your heart. Number five, you feel deeply offended, which is, is very, you know, common feeling when you get snubbed or overlooked. If you're a person who in your heart is taking the highest seat, this is the worst thing that can happen to you, to be overlooked, not recognized for what you are and what you've done. Okay? Number six, when you treat others badly because you're jealous of or threatened by them. Ladies, like we suffer from this too, but this is very common. This is very common. We dealt with this with my wife and my daughter. You've dealt with this in your own life. Don't be on the other side of this. It means you're taking in your heart the higher seat. Number seven, if you're quick to take credit or assign blame, right? So he's got to reflect well on you, even if that means the bad goes to somebody else, right? Number eight, this, oh, this number eight, before I show it to you, it's going to offend a lot of you, okay? Here you go, especially the religious people. If you've invited Jesus into your life, chances are in your heart, you're taking the highest seat. What do you mean? What do you mean if you've invited Jesus into your life, you've taken the highest seat? Isn't that what God wants us to do? To invite Jesus into our lives? Well, not exactly. I mean, think about it. When you and I invite Jesus into our lives, we now have a supreme God. We now have the ultimate Savior who's going to come into our lives. He's going to help us live our lives, accomplish our goals, uh, fight our challenges, right? What's wrong with that? The gospel, God's word, Jesus himself. Never said anything about Jesus coming into our lives to help us live our lives, uh, accomplish our goals. And, and look, I had camped out here for 25 years, right? I was saved, right? I, I knew Jesus, but he was, he was in my life to help me live my life. And that ain't the truth. That ain't the truth. That's why Paul... That's why Paul wrote this. He says, I have been 
crucify with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I don't have a life anymore. It's his life, right? But Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God and Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me, who became my sacrifice on the cross in my place for my sins and rose for this new life. Not so that I can invite him into the car, sit in the driver's seat and have him ride shotgun. And then help me when the road gets rough. He's driving. It is his life. Look, if we can just, if you're a believer, don't stay where I stayed stuck for like 25 years. There is no joy. There is no victory. There is no glory for him in him helping us live our lives. He wants to live his life again through you and in you in the way that he, he created you with your uniqueness Because you're going to shine. He's going to shine through you in a way that he doesn't shine through everybody. Right? But collectively, we're going to to represent the glory of God. But we're not going to do that if we're just inviting him along for the ride. So that we live our lives, but now we got power to do whatever we want. Okay? Sounds subtle, but it's the difference between life and death, between taking the highest seat and taking the lowest seat. He's inviting us to let him live his resurrected life through us. And that is unstoppable. And that is unquenchable. It's undeniable. Maybe that's a switch you need to make this morning. I don't know. Number nine, and then we'll move on. The worst way, the worst way, to take the highest seat is to run your own life, be your own God. You're moving God out of his place and taking that. So number two, number two is this. What's wrong with, what's wrong with taking the best and highest seat? What is wrong with that? Okay. We're going to do this. I'm going to take this with me. What is wrong with in our hearts when we climb the ladder we take the highest seat. Now, some of you are worried about me, right? Yeah. You say my pastor is a spaz. He's going to go down. <laughs> Why are you not worried about yourself? Right? Any, any of us at any time who do this, we're going to go down. What is the problem? What's wrong with taking the highest seat? I'm not going to sit here because it has like dents from people smaller than me. Saying I'm smart. <laughs> Well, number one, you can't read your notes, right? But number, number two, um, when we take the highest seat, you know what we're doing? We, well, first of all, Scripture talks about the righteous. You know how it defines the righteous? As those who disadvantage themselves to advantage others. And conversely, it talks about the wicked as those who disadvantage others to advantage themselves. And when we take the highest seat, we can't do that. When we take the highest seat, we disadvantage others to elevate ourselves. When we take the highest seat, we are fighting against God. We are fighting against God. We read it together. We said these words, Jesus' words, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, will be brought low. But he who humbles himself will be exalted by God. Be lifted up by God. 
You know, he said, don't do that. James, the brother of Jesus wrote this, but he gives more grace. God gives more grace. God wants to pour out upon you stupid levels of undeserved favor. This is what he wants to do. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. He fights against proud people who take the highest seat, but gives grace to the humble, to the humble. See, God can't give you the grace he wants. He can't give you the undeserved favor he wants to give you if you always think that you deserve it. Think about it. It makes sense. And you say, I can hear some of you thinking. That might be true sometimes, but I know a lot of proud people whose lives don't look like God is fighting against them. Looks like God's fighting for them. I would say two things. Number one, you don't see all the aspects of their lives and what joy or peace they do or don't have right now. You don't know what keeps them up at night. You don't know. And number two, the game is not over yet. Game is not over yet. You know, one of the scariest things, one of the most severe things that God can do to somebody who is proud is not directly, undeniably oppose them in a way that they can see. Why? Why is that most severe? Because if he did that, they could see it and and have a wake-up call and make a change. And this is what this morning is for some of you and for me, right? We get to see it, make a change. But if he doesn't directly oppose them in this life, then they're going to have a great surprise when they stand before him and try try to defend their lives of taking the highest seat. And disadvantaging others and not putting him where he belongs, right? It's like the title of the old gospel musical. Your arm's too short to box with God, right? There is one pedestal, one pedestal, one highest seat in your life. Question is, who is on it? It's either you or someone or something that you put up there. Here's the thing. The pedestal only belongs to Jesus. Some of you stole Jesus' pedestal and he wants it back. The glory, the attention, right? All points to God. All points to God. You and I exist to bring attention and glory to God. Some of us have stolen God's glory and he wants it back. And when we give it back to him, we humble ourselves and we get what we were mistakenly trying to find on our own. He exalts us. He lifts us up. He's the one. Only one pedestal. What about, and this is a legit question, what about when you have to be on the pedestal because of your success? Uh, in business or athletically or what, what, what happens? You're going to see this today if you watch the Super Bowl. What do you do when you are put there on the pedestal? What are you going to do about that? Well, that's a legit question. You need to listen very closely if you're an athlete, uh, if you're a musician or an artist or a craftsperson or a cook or a pastor, or anybody who does things in front of people for their consumption, their review, their pleasure, their uh, criticism, right? It, you, this applies to us, right? That it raises the second question, are you and I not supposed to do our best and seek for excellence using the gifts that God has done, given us? 
Absolutely you are. Absolutely you are. But, here's the question. What is your motivation for doing your best? Is it so that people can finally recognize how good, how talented, how gifted you are? So that your life can have meaning? Or is it so that people can know how good your God is and give him glory? You're going to see both of these today in the Super Bowl. You are going to see both of these in the mirror. You're going to see both of these every day in life. And it's up to you. It's up to me to choose to live, allow Jesus to live through us so they go, no, not what... Oh, what a good pastor he is. No, what a good God we have, right? And maybe he wants to do that same thing through me. There's a, a world of difference. And it has to do with whether or not you and I take the highest seat or the lowest seat. And this is more um, than just behavioral modification. It's more than us just choosing to do things different. It requires that Jesus change our hearts. Because that's where it all starts. And that's where it all finishes. If he changes my heart, everything that I do is going to come out of that changed heart. If he doesn't, I'm just trying to... Right? Haven't you lived enough like that? You're trying to change behavior when there hasn't been a heart change? Nothing is more exhausting and less fruitful than that. Okay, so we're going to, we got one more thing and then we're going to eat and we're going to go. Um, we got to change from wanting to make much of you to wanting to make much of Jesus. Last question here that we're going to look at. The benefits of taking the lowest seat. The benefit of taking... You don't have to listen to me because my mic goes out. You get to reflect the heart of Jesus. There was a, a great Christian musician who died before many of you were, were born or were listening. Um, his name was Rich Mullins. You may, uh, our God is an awesome God. You remember that song? That was him. He reigns. In, oh, he was great. A little hippie-ish for me, but um, just a great heart. And the Dove Awards are uh, Christian music's version of the Grammys. And Rich Mullins was like, the guy. He was like getting most of them. He was the Bruno Mars of his year. And um, they do like the black tie and, and the big theater. And they feed them dinner. And, and he just said, uh, I'm, I'm least. And, and so they had servers um, uh, on the buffet line. They were all going up. And, and he just stepped into the back and, and came up to a woman who was there and asked her, for her apron and he showed her to his spot and he put that on and he served the guests and the irony of it all was that the people who were there were offended that he would do such a thing when our lives are supposed to be doing that Saying, no, let, let me serve you. So in addition to doing that, taking the lowest seat, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Right? It's not loathing you. It's loving others more than you love you. There's a huge difference in that. When you take the lowest seat, when you take the lowest seat, you and I can't look down on anybody. We just can't. 
How would that fix the world? Because we're down here with the people who are down so we can get up underneath them and lift them up just like Jesus does for you, just like He does for me. That's what we do. This is going to surprise some of you. Taking the lowest seat affair proofs your marriage. Remember this even if you're not married because it's true. It's true. When you take the lowest seat, when you intentionally make your spouse more important in every aspect of everyday life, that affair proves your marriage, right? You become more loving. They feel more loved. How does it affair proof for your marriage? Because when, when people have affairs, basically what they are thinking is, my pleasure is more important than my spouse's pain or the promise that I made to them. But if every day you were taking the lower seat, you were exercising the humility muscle, right? The lowest seat muscle in your life and in your relationship that says nothing is ever going to harm my spouse. Not me, not him. Nothing is going to make them less important. It affair proofs your marriage. It affair proofs your relationships, right? That's it's important. It's uplifting. It's uplifting to take the lowest seat. Jesus lifts you up higher than you could ever be. Have you ever ridden on Jesus' shoulders? The view from there is amazing. And nobody, no circumstance can ever knock you off. And there is no high, no high that compares to that. We keep trying to find one as a substitute, but no high compares to that. When you take the lowest seat, wait, oh, James wrote, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. It's either you lift you up and he brings you down, or you put you down and he lifts you up. That's the choice that we have every day, every moment. When you take the lowest seat, you sit next to the least, the last, and the lost. You sit among them, right? It's not us and them anymore. It's just the people whom Jesus cared most about and you right there to be him, to love them, to point them to him, to give them hope. That's what you do. When you take the lowest seat, you get to sit next to Jesus because that's where he's always been. That's where he's always been, right? That's where we connect with him when we bow down. You know, when, when you and I take the lowest seat, it's really easy to do this. It's really easy to humble ourselves and seek him. He's always been. Take the lowest seat. The apostle Paul wrote this in him. He said, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Take the lowest seat. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind in you, this changed heart in you, that was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he was fully God, did not count his God rights, equality with God, a thing to be grasped or held onto or clung to, but made himself nothing, took the lowest seat, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
You see that humility? What did God do? Therefore God his Father highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus took the lowest seat on the cross from us that we deserved So that when the father raised him to new life, he could raise us who humble themselves. Look, here's the deep theological truth, (laughs) but it makes only Jesus rises. Only Jesus rises. So don't we rise within him? Yes. If he's in you, he will lift you up. But to do that, you have to stop lifting you up. Only Jesus rises and Jesus always rises. That's why we have to be in him and him and us and stop exalting ourselves. It's his job when we become the least. So how are you going to do that this week? Take a minute to think about that. How are you going to do it at your job? How are you going to do it in your classes? How are you going to do it in your family? What? If you want to be serious about it, write it down on your worksheet and do it. What heart change does Jesus need to make in you to make that possible? Because you and I, behavioral modification without heart change... Is like fighting the wind. And you know this. Because you get it right in one area of your life and it crops up in another. And he wants whole change. Right? What's that going to be? He took our lowest seat from us in the most painful way. So that we who humble ourselves and say, yes, you're my God. You're my Savior. I got no hope apart from you. I got no skills. I got no swagger. You're my swagger. You come in, you live your life in me, right? And then he says, you come sit with me in glory. Maybe the story we told isn't so removed because you have been invited to a wedding feast by the groom. And he says, you sit with me in glory. But the only way that you and I can do that is to first take the lowest seat and let him bring us home. And so this meal that we're going to share, I'll ask you to bring the lights down. Celebrates Jesus humbling himself so that we can be made whole and exalted. He sat with his friends the night he was betrayed and he took bread and he broke it. He says, see what just happened? That's me. That's my body being humbled, being broken for you. So that I can put you together in me and raise you up as I'm going to be raised up. When you take this bread and you eat it, when you eat any bread, when you eat anything, I want you to remember my love and my sacrifice for you. You do this in memory of me. Okay. And when supper was ended, he took a cup and again, he thanked his father in heaven, gave the cup to his friends. He says, this, 
This is the cup of my blood. It is being shed for you for the forgiveness of sins and for all. When you take this, when it becomes part of you, when you drink it, you're forgiven, right? Because of what I have done, not because you lived good enough. I want you to take it. And when you drink this, when you drink anything, I want you to remember that I poured it all out for you so I could lift you up. But you can't drink this in pride, right? The only way for you and me, I don't know, we don't care in this church what stripe of Christian you are, right? You're Catholic, you're Protestant, you're Methodist, you're Baptist. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you belong at this meal. But the only ones, the only ones who should take this are the ones who've said yes to Jesus, right? The ones who've taken the lowest seat and are willing to say, I'm going to humble myself for the God that humbled himself. And then you will rise again in me, in your way, in your time. But me lifting me up, that's over. You rise. You get the attention. You get the glory. You get it all. Because my friend, that's the way to life. And that is the way it was meant to be.